Let's ask the Lord's blessing. We are very grateful, Lord, for your Son. In the moment of crisis, when he came to earth and did what he did, we'd ask that we would stop and consider our relationship to it and our preaching of it. In your Son's name, amen. We're in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1. You know the passage. Uh, even someone who isn't regular in their Bible reading will have at some point heard, read, read it themselves. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, it's often the case that's what people read first in the Bible almost. You're talking to someone about the Lord, and they said, I, 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 Can I get a Bible? What should I start with reading? Well, you say, well, don't read Leviticus. You always say, don't read Leviticus. Don't go back and read Genesis. Why don't you start with the Gospel of John? In fact, many people, that's what they carry around, is little mini Gospels of John, and hand that to the person because... John's life of Christ is a far more, you might say, spiritually identifying life of Christ. It, it actually tells you what you should be thinking about what Jesus is doing. So many people have read John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Heck, incarnation, when people start a cult, they have to change that verse like the Jehovah's Witnesses do, with the word was a God. It's an important passage. And when we get into important passages, you get a lot in John, of course. You get up to John 3, 16, you know. Uh, John is, is, is providing you with a lot of quotables. But as you read through this section, which is John's getting his legs under him for what he's going to do in this gospel, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Besides it being great poster material, where you say, wow, that sounds really important, it sounds, re sounds really um, sanctified, devout. It sounds really uh, all sorts of words that don't have a lot of meaning to me. The word, the life, the light. And you know from other experiences, I have you here on the left-hand side, John 8, uh, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. You know that. You tell little kids that all the time. Jesus is the light. There's probably songs that you could sing. I don't remember any of them. But I grew up in Sunday school. This little light of mine, I remember. Um, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know that's important. You don't know why it's important but you know it's important. 
But as then you see in verses 1 through 5 in John 1, look at what you're dealing with. The Word is God. Now you want to, the other things there, he was in the beginning, he was with God. The Word was God. That's, that's a big thing. But you need, to, you need to pick that up. John is getting his legs under him in this gospel. He's letting you know the word, the logos, was God. In a distinction where he was also with God. Whatever you want to do with that, that's up to you. The Bible's not in the business of arguing the Trinity. It's just declaring what is. He was with him, and he was him. Now, he also was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. We got a lot of equals here. The word was God, was light, was light. All of them are just sort of hanging out there as sounding important. Life, light, even God. What do you mean when you, when you say God? There was a man sent from John, whose name, sent from God, whose name was John. He came for testimony, to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. Seems like the light, at the end of that equation, word equals God equals life equals light, that's what John's, you know, okay, this word was the light of men. The life that he brought was the light of men. And John the Baptist wasn't that light. He was pointing at the light. You know that it's important because the other things there, you know, other than it sounds important, it was in the world, it made the world. These things are pretty big deals. I don't know if you've seen anything some, on, some things on the interwebs where you get to see how big certain red giants are, stars, compared to our sun, or they, they take you through the universe and show you size comparisons, um, how empty space is, how huge the objects are in space. All of that made by your God. All of it. Down to the, the little complexities that that you're trying to figure out about how your, your body even works. We were talking about nerves the other day and how nerves are transmitting an electrical charge of some sort, but, but not real fast, not like the speed of light electrical charge, but something slower. How does it get slower? Uh, whatever, it's just amazing things that you're, you're made of and your universe is made of. When you would say he made the world, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The, the claims are huge. When you start talking about this word, this God, this life, this light, 
it's not really just left open to you to kind of feel the soft squishy that you want to feel about Jesus being the light of the world. Kind of like the flashlight I had on last night when the power went out. I have to admit that there's some degree of the power going out and me sitting in my bathrobe in the library with a flashlight and a scented candle, because that's all we have, scented candle going over there, doing some, Gunn said, well, why don't you, he was reading, what were you reading, Gunn? Uh, with his flashlight. He saw his old man sitting in the dark across the library with a flashlight and said, why don't you do some servant prep? He's reading Shakespeare. So I, I, I started thinking about it anyway, and this idea of, my gosh, it's dark. Yeah, you turn on the light switches, wander around your house with impunity, knowing that if it all goes off, would the lights go off in a city completely? It's really dark. You can't even find your way down a hall with which you are familiar without terror that you're going to knock something over. You don't even remember where you put the trash can. Suddenly it matters because the lights are off how much you assumed about light. Christ isn't flashlight. He is the light, verse 9, the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. The lights came on. Everywhere. He was in the world, verse 10, and the world was made through him, but yet the world knew him not. Okay. Even though this word, this God, this life, this light, had made the world and had entered the world and was there displayed in all respects, the world didn't know him. He came to his own home, to the people, you might say, that had more revealed to them. He came to Israel, came to Judah. His own people received him not. There's a tension here about, about this light. That as you start to build up your understanding of Jesus Christ, being God, being life, being light, Start to understand what that deals with. You realize that you're also dealing with a world that he has lit, he has made it, and he has lit it. He has made it, he has lit it, and in spite of that, the crisis moment is not how dark the world is. But the people that did not know him, did not receive him, the choice they make. Now, if you grew up in evangelical circles, you heard the phrase, you receive Jesus into your heart. Right? Have you received Jesus? Uh, the word, so I'm a little bit, get a little startled at the word receive because I, 
I didn't like that. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church where they gave the altar call at every service. I do know the, word, the words to just as I am. And uh, I'll, I could sing them for you right now, but I, I won't because the number of times, it wasn't always just as I am that you sang during the altar call without one plea. But it was frequent because it was moody and it was about that decision. And you're trying to get people to walk the aisle to receive Jesus Christ into their life. And you start thinking about it later as you grow in grace and grow in Christ. You know, really, I'm receiving him, but he's receiving me into his life. And the word reception is a bigger crisis than these sort of cheesy evangelical moments. Um, remember the painting, if you could, of Jesus standing at the door? He's got a lantern, I think. I think it's still daylight, but he's got a lantern. Knocking on this old door. And that's what the, you got as kids, you know. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Although that verse is not about evangelism, but, but nonetheless, it was used for evangelism. God looking to get into your life. This, everything resting on this decision to receive. People who did not know him, people did not receive him. But he had made the world. He was the God of the world. He had come into the world. He had brought light into the world. And nobody was paying any attention. It wasn't that it wasn't there. As they chose to not look at it. Because, verse 12, this is a great verse. But to all who received him, he brought light to every man. Verse 9, the true light that enlightens every man. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, in case you're wondering what that reception entails, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Reborn by God. You get jump forward to John 3. Man must be born from above. We know this. But as we think about what has happened here, the creator, the word of God, the maker of all things, God himself, life itself, and that life was light. The crisis is in the man, you. The crisis of the darkness is not that the light's not available, the crisis is in people not seeing their God. Though he made the world, the world knew him not. Though he had announced himself to the Jews, his own people received him not. But everything was there. He had come into the world. He had made the world. He had revealed himself in the prophets and in the, you know, given himself to the world in such a way that it would be hard to miss. And yet... They didn't, but some did. And to those people, they became children of God. Now, there's a word called fideism. You're familiar with it, I don't know. 
it's a, a faithism, basically. Fides is faith. And uh, um, you see it in words like confide with, with faith, confide. Um, so fideism is kind of a kind of religion that is gone berserk about faith. And sometimes, because we're Protestants, gold dang it, and we're big on this, not sacraments and not all this other stuff, but faith alone, you'll hear that in theological conversations, by faith alone, by grace alone, people start making, trying to make the faith as simple as possible. Almost like you barely walk by that painting of Jesus and you're being asked to receive him. People know nothing about what's going on here. Just get them to sign on the paper. You want a God, don't you? Kind of, whatever your view of Jesus Christ. And they simplify the object of our faith far too much. Because when you get back to what John is doing, his announcement of what he's going to do in the Gospel of John, he has told you already, the Word, the God, the life, and the light. That's what you receive. Not this kind of uh, effeminate boy, renaissance angel guy with a lantern. Maybe a very well-groomed beard. And always this effeminate Jesus. Always this, and I'm worried about the effeminacy of it, but my heavens, what, what elements of word, God, life, and light are in it? Creator, incarnate God, because it's my re- the crisis point is my reception, right? People did not believe in him. They did not receive him. But those who did receive, who believed, <coughs> he made children of God. So it's a, it would seem not just that I have fi- faith, this fideistic approach. It's not just that I have the faith, but it's, it matters to, in, in, in the key degree what the faith is in. It's not the Disney Channel, have faith in yourself. You go out to Bed Bath and Beyond and you can buy a hammered out metal wall hanging that says, what does it say? Faith, hope, love. And you're choosing between live, laugh, love and faith, hope, love. And you're a Christian, so you take faith, hope, love. And you go home and hang it up and please do not invite Evan over. Please. But it's Christian. <laughs> it's not just believing. It's not the task of believing. As long as you have faith. As long as you believe that your team's going to win. As long as you believe. No. It's if you receive the word, the God, the life, and the light. Have you seen his glory? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Full of grace and truth, we have beheld his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. 
you started to look on Jesus Christ at some point and you began to realize some of the claims. When you became a Christian, you began to realize some of the claims that Jesus made about himself. Because the evangelical church is faithful in preaching the gospel in many ways. Glorious of the only Son from the Father. John bore witness to him and cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, for he was before me. And from his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. Our reception, the crisis moment, the belief reception, gets or doesn't get you given being the childhood of God. You, you are given that status of being a child of God. You're given grace upon grace. We've all received that from him. In our reception of him, in our belief, we've received grace. In our belief, we've received sonship. Because we have looked on the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, as the representation of himself as God, the creator, the enlightener, the giver of life. That's what I'm looking at. No one has ever seen God, the only Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. That is the, you might say, the crisis of belief moment. Have I come to know God because I have beheld the glory of his Son? Have I seen in him the Word, the deity, the life, and the light? And have I received that, believed in that? Not just ignored it, not just included it as part of the, you know, kind of the decorative backdrop of a Christian nation where, you know, you go to a good enough church and you know they're faithfully going to put Jesus into Christmas. He was greater than John. March yourself up to who Jesus is. Does he fit, where does he fit or sit on your shelf of importance? Is he really the greatest thing that you've ever thought of in human history? You think of this moment, the Son of God, God himself coming to earth, shuffling around some backwater town in Palestine, letting them kill him. He's greater than John. John's always going on. I must decrease that he may increase. He was before me, though he came after me. He was really actually before me. John was older than Jesus, okay? In terms of lifetime, he was older than Jesus. They were relatives. He knew he was older than Jesus. So when he says, he was before me, it's a telling remark. What's the rank? You might want to think about that the rest of this afternoon as you go home and go, what, are they, what, did I, what was my takeaway from the sermon? If someone were to ask me, how does Jesus rank? And for what? It's obviously greater than John. It's greater than Moses. 
law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And he's made God known. He introduced you to God. I keep saying this because I, I think it needs to be said to the modern mind over and over. You need to meditate on it. You need to come to some grip with it somehow. I don't know. That's up to you. Different person than I am. People say the word God don't know what they're saying. They don't have a clue. Certain concepts have been lost. We still have words like slave, but we don't know what that means. So when Jesus says, I want you to be a Paul, I want you to be a slave of righteousness, you mean I just show up for my employment? You pay me? No. You're a slave. Don't you understand what a slave is? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Do you understand? No. I'm an American. I took civics in eighth grade. Nobody gets to own anybody. Well, Jesus just bought you. Doesn't matter. I'm sorry. The concept doesn't go away merely because your civics class in eighth grade doesn't like you to be bought. Jesus bought you. Now, what about divine? What about God? As uh, Gunn's been reading Nietzsche. Oh, it's his time of rebellion, I guess. But he'd been leaving uh, works of Nietzsche around, and uh, there was the Antichrist, one of his books. So I was right. He hated Christianity. Oh, bad. He hated it bad. Um, I was making a point off of Nietzsche. What was that going to be? <laughs> And I lost it. What's that? Gun, gun. My son was quoting him. Uh, uh, I, I don't know what that was, but it was about belief, and Nietzsche didn't. So take that away from this. Um, the idea of God, the idea of the divine, has been. Oh yeah, it was this. Aggressive, the whole God is dead concept. He supposedly killed God. <coughs> Old idea of putting, not God never was, but God was and then was killed. And the story is true, yeah, to some degree he was. Different kind. But the death of God in our society has made Christians walking around without a clear concept of what it means to be divine. C.S. Lewis talks about it with his, when he left Christianity as a youth, started getting involved in uh, Wagner and Ring Cycle stuff and Siegfried and the Twilight of the Gods. And he comments about how God in his mercy may have sent him away from Christianity long enough to learn what it is to be divine, to learn reverence. But we use the term, instantly trot out, yeah, Jesus was God. I'll get into an argument with any non-believer, some agnostic who doesn't believe that Jesus is God. I'm going to argue with them about it. Because I, I'm taking the positive side of that argument. And if he was a smart agnostic, he might go, I don't think you really do. Because I don't think you really know what a God is. 
Do you know what a God is? Do you know who this God is? Because Jesus Christ has made this God known. He is this God. He is with this God. He is the incarnation of this God. And for you to behold his glory, you are looking into the face of a God. Jump ahead to John 12. And if you read your way through John, you're going to see, like that quote from John 8, it was between these two chapters, John 1, John 8, John 12, that light stuff keeps coming up. I am the light of the world. The crowd answered him, chapter 12, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, always giving them a straight answer, The light is with you a little longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. And that's the passage that came to mind last night. Get everything done during the daytime. That's my, that's my tip. Because right around 11 or midnight with the time change, it's not the time of day to be without light. It's amazing how you, you, you have your candle lit or your many candles lit, and then you say, you know, 150 years ago, when the sun went down, this was everything. Candlelight. Remember, I forget who made the film. Um, starred Ryan O'Neill, I think it was called, uh, uh, Barry Lyndon. Um, they actually were shooting these re Regency period scenes of England with only the light that was available at the time, and they had like 48,000 candles for a card game. I mean, it was countless candles to get a room light enough that you could see the cards. You don't know where you go without light. How much assumption do you always believe that there's going to be a night light plugged in? I was thinking that because I was trying to find my way to my own bedroom, which I have gone to faithfully for 33 years in that house. And I'm trying to find my way to it. Down a straight hall. Going, why don't I have a nightlight? Well, not that it would be any good without any power, but why isn't there something lighting down here by the, like the airplanes do when you crash, and they always tell you there's going to be this little light row of lights telling you where the exits are? Because, Lord knows, when things go bad, we want to have a light on. And you really think that you have to correct yourself as you think about, I'm just going to turn over here and reach up and hit the light switch, turn the lights back on, but they don't work. And my CPAP machine. So I couldn't just go to sleep. Couldn't watch TV while I went to sleep. I could lie there, not breathing, not watching, staring into the black emptiness of the void, realizing that all the food downstairs is melting. Or warming up slowly. 
in the refrigerator because the power's off. You might want to consider your soul in similar circumstance. Sometimes the lights go off and you really don't have the option anymore of getting the lights back on. God doesn't owe you his gift. That's what grace is. It's a gift. God doesn't owe it to you. And if you walk away, if you do not receive him, if you do not believe in his name, you don't, you're not owed some point in time when, oh, I realized it's dark now. Oh my gosh. Walk while you still have the light. Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. While you still have the light, while you're looking at it, like it says in Hebrews, now is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts. Choose to look at the light and receive and believe so that you can become sons of light. You share that light. You're part of what that light is. Your life, your home, your marriage, your children and you all become part of this light. If you've received it, believed in it, taken it on while you saw it. Now, what I liked as I was reading through this, um, I was, uh, I've always liked this about Christ. When Jesus had said this, he departed and hid and hid himself from them. While the light's still with you, you might want to receive him. Vamanos. Off he goes. It, it drives the point home. Drives the point home. Some people go, yeah, well, easier back then. Jesus was there. They weren't believing him. He was raising the dead. They weren't believing him. Because this is not a crisis of how bright the light is. Okay? This is not a crisis of how impressive the rabbi is. You can't get more impressive than this. Standing out on the Sea of Galilee in a, in a storm, walking along, eating an apple or something. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Raising the dead. Angels speaking from heaven. God speaking from heaven. This is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And people said, hmm, maybe it was thunder. Don't think that it would be more believable to you. Because the crisis is not in how much Jesus there is. He is the light that has come into the world. The world itself declares his glory. His glory has been preached to us by those who saw his glory. Yes, the light might be less. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, yet they did not believe in him. If you're not one of those whose eyes are widening and dilating so that you could take it as much light as you can, I noticed that late at night last night, that if you leave the lights off, you start to pick up all sorts of light that's out there. Not much. 
starlight. doesn't matter how much light shining at you if you're trying to shut your eyes. That's why it says to Paul in Acts when he's testifying before Agrippa that God commissioned him to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God because they have shut their eyes. They did not believe, and you have to ask yourself, am I looking at the word, am I looking at the God, am I looking at the life, am I looking at the light, and having that be my, what I receive, that's what I believe, because that is the God who has the life, who has the grace, who has the sonship. Because it was that the word spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and turn for me to heal them. Jesus Christ will tell you something in the middle of his world that he made, in the middle of his life that he gave, in the middle of his power that he showed, that you needed to receive him and believe in his name, and people who saw it would not believe. And not only would they not believe, Jesus would hide. Not only would they not believe, but God will step in, one way or another, depends on your doctrine on this, blind their eyes, harden their hearts, so they won't see the light, Now what's notable about this is verse 41. Isaiah said this because he saw his glory and spoke of him. It's one of the big dichotomies in your life. You are the point of crisis, your reception, your belief. God being made known to you. We see a lot of unbelief Sometimes the church starts to get lazy and starts to lower the standards of what it is to be a Christian as long as you're baptized as a Trinitarian Christian, you get to be one. As long as you join the church, as long as you hold to the doctrines of the creeds of the Nicene Creed or whatever it is. No, that's not Christianity. There's going to be a difference between as you grow in the knowledge of the word, the God, the life, and the light. You're going to see that glory, and you're going to speak of him. And you're also going to be very conscious of the hardened heart that stands in front of you, who even to Jesus Christ, even to the apostles who walked with Jesus Christ, they would not believe. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So there are people out there that are these straddling mid-believers. They, they do believe, but they still haven't. What, what's the nature of this thing? When you have the word, the God, set in front of you, and your choice is to receive the word and the God, 
and believe in his name, to become a child of him, the big crisis for you is you can't have the stuff the way you want it. It's always going to get in the way. The Pharisees are somewhere believing this, believing it to be true. But because they still cared too much for themselves, they would not confess the light that they saw. Isaiah saw the glory and spoke of him. These Pharisees saw the glory, believed the glory, would not speak of them because they still had not yet bowed the knee to him. And Jesus cried out and said, and when I got to the end of this text, I said, this is all important. I'm going to make it all bold, which I realized might lose its, um, its strength when everything's bold. So some of it got to be bold and red. He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. So you're seeing the glory of God in Christ is to see God. Believing in Christ is to believe in God. I have come into, as, as light into the world that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Because that's when, the ex, you might say, the brilliance of the light comes home to you. Your reception of the light of Christ is going to suddenly light up your life. Isn't that an awful song by Boone? What's her name? Debbie, Debbie Boone. You light up my life. I think it was a love song. And I hate to say that about Christ, but he does light up your life. Not to make you feel rainbows and unicorns about it, but... If you believe, you don't stay dark. You don't stay blind. Understanding. God made his world. This God made this world. This God has come into the world to point out to you the way this God wants his world run. And you have bowed the knee to that God in your belief and your reception. And the lights come on. I get to know how to walk down this hall. With the lights on. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. You see pre-echoes of John 3. He who rejects me does not and does not receive my sayings has a judge. The word that I have spoken will be his judge. The word that I have spoken will be his judge on the last day. He said, didn't he just say that I'm not going to be his judge? And it's kind of a cheap shot to say, well, I'm not going to judge him, but my words will. Well, the reason he says that, he says, for I've not spoken on my own authority. The Father who sent me has himself given me commandment, what to say and what to speak. So just like seeing and believing is seeing God and believing God. And in that, the lights come on. And without that, the darkness remains. Your rejection is a rejection of a God. 
and a rejection of his word. And what does it say here? And I know that his commandment, verse 50, is eternal life. So if I'm going to reject his word, remember he is, he is word, he is God, he is life, he is light. And that all has some meaning. And that's what I'm looking at. If I reject that, I'm rejecting a contact with the living God. I'm rejecting the word of God revealed, the light being on for me. And I'm rejecting eternal life. I'm rejecting eternal life. It's amazing what people re will reject because you know you've dangled them with this huge. Well, you as Christians think this is a, this is great. Why would anybody ever think that? Why would anybody reject this? They would rather sit there in some meth-induced haze. They would rather sit there with some selfish, angry, bitter, frat boy nonsense going on in their head, destroying all their relationships. Normal sin, you know. They'd rather live with their bitterness and anger. And you're going, well, well I don't understand. Maybe you don't understand. They really want to obey themselves. They would rather have the life as I said, they would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. And they've got hell that they get to rule in. Their hell is all a matter of their rule. Their life is all the chaos of their decisions. That's why it's a crisis about belief and reception. That's why it sits in you, because the challenge to God is not whether you might say, unmade matter can't be called into a universe by the power of God. It can, because he made everything that was made. Out of nothing. Pretty impressive. The crisis comes. The conflict comes. The war comes with God between man and God and man who wants to serve himself versus the living God. Rather have the lights off so he can do what he wants. Because evil men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has bidden me, the God himself, the Word himself, the life, the light, did what he was told. And you sit there and fidget trying to decide whether or not you're going to do what you're told by somebody else. Whether you're going to give up to the living God. To have the lights on. To have eternal life. To have meaning. But no, I can't give that up. Jesus Christ could give that up. What a great example. He was tempted in every manner like as we, yet without sin. Look at that moment before the cross where he says, I don't want to do this. What happens when you don't want to do it? Oh, I don't do it. I don't want to do this, but not my will, but thine be done. Everything he said, it's not what I'm saying, it's what God the Father once said. When the lights come on for you, what a relief it was last night, I was standing in the kitchen in my bathrobe, looking vacantly out the windows at the dark house across the street with my flashlight clenched in my pudgy fingers. 
wondering blankly, was there anything I could do? There wasn't. It was just dark. House was getting colder. The fridge wasn't making any noise behind me. And there was no promise of anything. And then they came on. And a, a sense of joy, right? If you were waiting for it, not knowing what was going to happen, the lights came on. You were thankful. You'd be to realize how tenuous the grid is. Could have been a terrorist attack. Could have been forever. Some solar flare took out all of the and we're trying to rebuild life from 1800s on. Could have been. The lights came on at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock new time. And I rejoiced. Because everything was back, everything, all the meaning in my life, everything I wanted to do could be done. I could wander into a room and turn a light on and do whatever I wanted to do in the middle of the night. What are you going to do with the light? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful that your son came and brought light into the world. We're grateful. We want to understand how he is the word, how he is you, how the life that is available in him is equal to the light. We'd ask that our belief would be in him. Our reception would be of him as he is. That our lives would become light. In your son's name we pray. Amen.